Wayne, do the intro. All right. I said, I'm not doing the intro, Manny. Don't tell me what to do. Well, God damn it. Would you introduce the guest? <laughs> Go ahead. Hold on. I'm making sure we're on. Stop being so demanding. All right. I think we're on. All right. No intro this week. Welcome we're to on. Red Cell Review. Today, we are joined once again by Brian Johnson's best friend, <laughs> Jesse Fink. Welcome, Jesse. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Hey, Jesse. So, um, I wanted to start out real quick before we get started about your uh, professional background, because you didn't start out as a, a rock journalist or consider yourself a rock journalist. Would that be correct? No, not at all. And um, I actually, after writing those two books on on ACDC, I didn't want to sort of be pigeonholed as a rock writer. Right. So that's why I deliberately went and sort of did a book on cocaine trafficking. And um, and now I've just written a book about uh, a spy. So, you know, I, I always try to do sort of different things and, and just not be pigeonholed. So, you know, I think I was in danger of that happening to me after after those books, you know, just to be seen as the ACDC writer. So I've kind of, you know, stepped away from ACDC um, very deliberately. And the reason I ask that question is I want uh, listeners to know that you are not a rock writer per se that you were background is in journalism and um you yeah, know I'll, so that that's that's why i brought that up i wanted people to know that your background was in journalism that you didn't you're not a rock journalist per se you're a journalism journalist excuse me yeah yeah i i um my i actually started my career as a, as a book editor uh for harper collins and you know, worked for about five years on on sort of biographies and sports books, and um, I would do gardening books, you know, you name it. I was just doing nonfiction, and then I kind of moved over into um, sports journalism. I was a, a deputy editor of, of like the Australian version of Sports Illustrated for uh, a few years, and. Uh, while I was in that job, I, I went off to Germany um, on a junket uh, that was paid for by the, the German government and, and um, wrote a story about the Confederations Cup, which is, which is the um, tournament that precedes the World Cup. And I ended up sort of becoming a football columnist online this was back in around sort of 2006 so quite you know quite a long time ago and when you say football do you mean australian football or you mean what the americans would call soccer soccer yeah okay so i means what the whole rest of the world knows as football (laughs) except in our i just wanted it explained for our american audiences because there is aussie rules football so i have family in melbourne so they remind me Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So I was I was a soccer writer and I worked online. Uh, you know, writing blogs every day. Did that for five years. Um, 
wrote a book that my first book was about Australian soccer. Um, and then after my sports career, sports writing career came to an end, I wrote a book about uh, my second marriage. Sorry, my second marriage, my first marriage with my second book. Um, and then I started writing about relationships and sex. And then I sort of uh, fell into writing about ACDC. That's just how it happened. Mm. So it wasn't like a, you know, like a plan to, you know, write about rock or anything like that. It was just, just how, how it worked out. Mm. And then, but, so, and then suddenly I found myself spending seven years, you know, writing about ACDC. <laughs> when you wrote the Bond Scott book and I, the reason I'm asked this is because of Brian Johnson's comments that you want to respond to, you didn't have any, uh, agenda your whole purpose of the book wasn't to prove that brian wrote or didn't write back in black you're you simply were to tell a story of bond scott and this is a byproduct of that is that would that be accurate absolutely accurate i mean the thing is like the first book i should explain like that you know so i've written two books one's the young's the brothers who built acdc which was published in 2014 in the united states uh, I wrote Bond the Last Highway as a follow-up that was published in 2017 um, and when I wrote the first book literally it was a case of um, I, having gone through this this terrible kind of divorce from my from my wife who was the mother of my daughter and losing my family you know my life was fucked up you know I was at a real low point and it was literally a case of like me wanting to top myself one night and just happening to put on some ACDC and ACDC is kind of music lifting me up at that particular moment and kind of, in my eyes, saving my life that night. So I went to my publisher and I said, I want to write a book about how fucking great ACDC's music is and how it's the world's best antidepressant. Right. What, 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 what is the secret of sort of ACDC's um, connection with tens of millions of people around the world? That's what the book was about. You know, it was it was a, it was a tribute to ACDC. Um, and there was no design when, when I first started doing these books about me taking down ACDC. It was just simply a case of I started writing about the the uh, trajectory of, of ACDC as as a, as a business, you know, when they first started in America and then sort of becoming this sort of global marketing colossus that they are. Of course, there was a business story behind it, and you start gathering all your interviews, you start speaking to. Um, you know the people at Atlantic Records, the the merchandising people, the the um, you know the tour managers, the managers, the engineers, the producers, anyone who's sort of connected to the band, then and then start putting the story together. Then they start telling their story about how this band is, you know, um, very hard nosed, you know, very tough in business, all that sort of thing they're telling me the story i'm just you know putting it down on paper and telling and telling you know readers what other people are telling me mm. right and but of course after you've assembled all this information you can't help but sort of take a view 
um, on the subject that that to, to to some other people might be negative, you know. I, I so what I'm what I'm trying to say is I didn't go I didn't go out there and sort of think oh you know fuck these guys I'm going to take down ACDC. Right. I, I I simply kind of just recorded what other people were telling me, and then formed my own opinion about the subject based on what they were telling me. Right. right. And then I thought, well, okay, there's there's something a little bit, you know, not not right around the whole sort of story of, you know, like the lyrics to to to, to back in black. And I, I was always wondering, you know, why don't people sort of explore this sort of issue a little bit more forensically? Why is it sort of just sort of brushed over and and not sort of dealt with sort of journalistically? And 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 so when you know, the Youngs was a success, and and my publisher was interested in a follow up to the book, and and you know, sort of Bond came up as a subject. Um, I thought, well, you know, the two major issues around the life of Bond Scott are how did he die? Was heroin involved? And did he have anything to do with with, with Back and Black? Um, and they're the two sort of major issues, I, th- I think, that uh, like Clinton Walker, for instance, who, who wrote the first biography of Bon Scott, he didn't really get into those mm. to a great degree in his, in his biography of, of, of Bond. And I thought so that was an opportunity for me to, to, to really get stuck in and kind of address this, this issue that so many journalists, you know, just sort of don't cover or just won't won't go there. And I, you, you know, you've got to ask, you know, why don't they do it? Right. What are they afraid of? Uh, you know, I think with a lot of the like the media in in America, particularly, um, you know, so many of the, the the people who are sort of have the positions of power in the American media, you know, the people like Eddie Trunk and so on. Howard Sorry, Stern. had to throw that out there. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Eddie Trunk. Stern, anyway, go ahead. You know, so on. Um, you know, they have they have personal connections to these people, right. right? So they don't want to get into it. They don't want to sort of upset people, or it's about you know, sort of. You're not not wanting to upset the record company or you know sort of pre-existing personal relationships, all these sort of things that go into kind of stopping people from looking into issues that that the fans are actually really interested in. And the good thing about me, you know, getting back to to Manny's original question about you know my journalistic background and not being a rock writer was that I was completely independent of all that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't have an agenda. There was there was nothing at all um, stopping me from sort of exploring, you know, the, this these issues in in a in a in, in an investigative way. You know, like a detective. Right. So that's what I what that's what I did, and I actually found the process really bloody enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and... but difficult. <laughs> And you've been ruffling some feathers, especially of, of late with uh, Brian Johnson. Manny mentioned before he just uh, released his book, and then he did a um, an interview with Rolling Stone, and he didn't mention your name, but he did say uh, a particular journalist, uh, a writer in Australia, which obviously is you. Is obviously you, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, 
that implied they did not have the internet in Australia, which is one of the weirdest fucking things I've ever read in a recent magazine interview. <laughs> Australia yeah, does look, have. I had a I had a guy have a have a crack at me the other day saying, you know, you know, it wasn't about you, you know. I look, I certainly took it as as me. I think, irrespective of who Brian Johnson is talking about, and you know, I've got to you know pay credit. There have been other people over the years who have you know certainly raised questions about the the lyrics on Back and Black, right. and I talk and I talk about them in the book. I think the most important thing here is just to sort of address kind of, you know, what he said right. and, and, and respond to it. And, and, you know, I, I get really frustrated, like when, you know, sites like Ultimate Classic Rock, for instance, you know, or, or Blabbermouth or whatever, you know, will we'll run a story sort of saying, Brian Johnson shoots down back in black rumors mm-hmm. right? right and just basically report what he said and then not report or not report the the the, the counter argument mm-hmm. you know like i went and wrote a blog the other day sort of basically pointing out why i think brian johnson is right i was going to bring all that up too because you do bring up a lot of good points you know yes, you have but- the receipts right <laughs> exactly yeah. but that's not reported by these 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 aggregator sites right Right. Of course not, because it doesn't speak to their narrative. To their narrative. Well, not... Also, like, you know, don't don't piss off the record company. Don't piss off ACDC. You know, let's just kind of, you know, sweep it under the carpet and, you know, continue on our merry way. And the, and the thing is, fans will only find the, you know, like the, the journalism that I've, that I've done on this subject in my books because it's not being published in magazines. What the fuck is Rolling Stone doing? I literally wrote to the, the, the writer of the interview with, with Brian Johnson in Rolling Stone. I wrote to him on, on, on LinkedIn mm. and I said, you know, here's my response to Brian Johnson. You know, I, I, I think, you know, you, you, you've either mentioned me. Uh, I, I certainly took it that you, you've, you've, mentioned me in this story, I think I should have right of reply here. So I wrote to him and just said, here, here's my response. Nothing. Crickets. Really? You know? mm. So You're what, conti- what, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> right. Well, it's not like Rolling Stone has any integrity whatsoever, but Rolling Stone never liked ACDC till about, you know, yeah. what, 20 or 30 years ago after the fact. Uh, and another uh, thing, Jesse, you're a uh, you're not saying Brian wrote all the lyrics. You're pointing out to specific songs on the album. You shook me all night long was one. Um, was Hell's Bells or Back in Black the other one you referred to? There was a couple, I believe, Jesse. But you weren't saying he wrote the whole thing. But you're saying that he wrote the mel- some of the melodies and the lyrics. I've, and, I've, I've, sorry. Yeah, go on. No, I'm just saying from your research, for example... But you're not the only writer to write about ACDC, but you're the only writer to have talked to Bond's American friends. Um, Mick Wall, I, as far as I know, did not in his book. And Malcolm Dome wrote one of those quick books in the 80s, you know, um, that, you know, came and went. Um, and Clinton Walker certainly did not talk to, I believe, <clears throat> other than Silver Smith, he didn't talk to anybody 
from Bond's uh, background in the United States, from what I can tell from reading his book. No, I, no, I, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that I've certainly, <coughs> you know, invested invested. Uh, <coughs> sorry, I've certainly looked into this issue more than any other writer. Um, and yes, I've, I've, I've gone and, and spoken to hundreds of people over the course of two books about, you know, this particular issue. And, and I, you know, good friends with, you know, Bond's ex-girlfriend, Holly, who's, who's in Miami, you know, and I had someone sort of have a crack at me this week, sort of saying, oh, you know, you didn't put her surname in the book. You know, you didn't use a real name. It's like, well, honestly, do you think I've made it all up? Well, I Bob mean, Woodward didn't use anybody's, the real name of anybody when he wrote his book on Richard Nixon. So, come on. Yeah. Of course, of course, if I go down to Miami and a girl is sort of saying, yes, I slept with Bon Scott and he was my boyfriend and whatever. You think I'm going to corroborate it? Of course I'm going to corroborate it. That's why I've, I spoke to a half a dozen people in Miami. Was Was she... With with Bon Scott, yes, yes, she was. We went to her party out at Key Biscayne. Okay, okay. So if six if six people are saying they were together, well, then they were together. Just because photographs don't exist of them sort of hanging out with in Miami doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um. So you know, people are you know, I think they just sort of. They're, 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 I get frustrated because. A lot of people also aren't very clear about what their own sort of personal connections are to um, people, you know, in ACDC or, or in ACDC or around sort of ACDC, like the Bob Scott estate and so on. You know, so a lot of people are quite duplicitous, I think, and not very clear about, you know, what their personal relationships are to these people. Um, and, the, and the, you know, so I have so many people who want to take me down mm. all the time. You know, it's not just sort of like online abuse. I mean, th- these people are sort of actively trying to dis- dis- discredit me and sort of sort of making out as if I'm like this sort of avaricious fantasist who's only done this because I just want to make money that I'm sort of, you know, doing it for sort of mercenary reasons, which is completely fucking ridiculous. I, if anything, I've, I've lost money working on these books. Yeah. You know, I could have, I could have made more money stacking shelves in a supermarket than I have made in royalties from these books. Right. As anyone in in a creative industry knows, you know most of your you know royalties, <laughs> you know don't get to you. They get sort of absorbed into costs and printing costs and everything right. else. Everybody else makes money, but you. Everyone else makes money, but you. That that's just the way that these creative businesses are. You know, you know. I've got to say, my ACDC books have made money, mm. but it doesn't all all sort of all end up in my pocket. You mm. know. The publisher takes their money, and 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 the agents take their money, and you know the sub agents take their money, and miraculously somehow, at the end of all that, you know, 
a few hundred dollars might end up in your pocket, but it's not like I'm sort of making, you know, millions of dollars from this. Nice. Lou, I no, think you have something. You were, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, so. Lou, you have something? Yeah, two points. One, uh, the events of uh, the time up to Bon Scott's passing were definitely corroborated in Pete Way of UFO and Wasted's autobiography, uh, Fast Right Out of Here. So if anyone has any questions to the legitimacy of uh, what you wrote in your book, uh, there is a second book out there that references that. So, yeah, and, I, and, and, I spoke, and I spoke to Pete Way before he died for the book as well as Paul Chapman, mm-hmm. you know, who, who were both neglected by um, Clinton Walker. Clinton, Clinton Walker, you know, released a supposedly sort of updated version of his book in 2015 and just completely ignored Pete Way and Paul Chapman. Wasn't Clinton Walker's take that they were both junkies, so they were unreliable? Wasn't that his take yeah, on it? Everyone was a junkie back then, though, for God's sakes. Essentially, that's what he said. But you know, Christ, everyone in in you know rock music in the in the late seventies, early eighties was on something, you know. It's, um, it's ridiculous. The second point I was going to make is that for anyone to take umbrage with uh, anything that you've written in your books, really needs to go to the source material, and that and that's that they should take umbrage with the people that you interviewed, because they're obviously the ones that were affected the most by Bond's passing or what was going on at the time. I know you've referenced Doug Thaler, um, a former manager of ACDC, and, you know, uh, to Doug's credit, he stated some things that the 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 entity known as ACDC tries to uh, shut down, but all you did was just print everything from his perspective. That's not you going out and attacking the band, it's it's completely two different things. If any, and and in your defense, I'm going to say this: if anyone has umbrage with something that a, 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 a reputable journalist has to put in their book, remember he's not the source material; he's just a storyteller. Take it up with the people who were there at the time that provided him that information. And you know, this is not blue journalism. Exactly. That's that, that's that's the point I was trying to make before: is that you you research, you assemble all these quotes and sort of, you know, put them in your book. And eventually, you know, when you, when you're going over the massive kind of interviews that you have done, you as a journalist or a historian, you know, working on this, on this book, you are entitled to make a judgment based on the information that you've gathered. That's your job. You're a professional writer. You know, I'm an intelligent person. I, I I can sort of review all the information that I've assembled and kind of uh, make a judgment based on that material. And the judgment that that I came to um, is reflected in 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 those books. And but it's based on hundreds and hundreds of interviews with people who work closely with the band, right? So it's not like I've just sort of made it all up. It, it's it's those two books are the product of seven years work i've read yeah. both books and actually they're not attack of anything the first book the youngs for example my take it's an excellent book by the way um it was a was a history of australian 
music industry through the through and using Angus, not Angus Young per se, using a young family, George Young, Angus, Harry Vanda, is that how you say his name? Yeah. Albert Productions. To me, it was a history of of uh, Austria, which I found fascinating because I didn't. I I think in your in your book you point out how in Australia, you guys would not get whatever the music trends were happening from somewhere else to way after. So I thought it was interesting and how ACDC, not just the Bon Scott era at the point, your young book was about the business side of it. It also was a tribute to the music, in my opinion. There's never in any point in time in my, in the book that you didn't, that you were harsh toward the youngs or Bon Scott or even Brian Johnson truthfully as a matter of fact um if anything the things you say about malcolm young aren't things that you have just said um mick wall uh malcolm dome clinton walker the band themselves has said how hard nosed malcolm young was you know and how hard he could be brian johnson has said that himself it's not just you i the point of i'm saying is i don't want to make it seem like the books are some negative take on the band they're not they're actually uh it's like it's a journalistic view of the history of the industry through the young's eyes and in the first book and the and the bond scott book was almost a history of 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 the 70s rock using acdc in a way because as you point out almost the minute bond scott dies has nothing to do with bond's death the industry literally changes in 1980 mtv a year later the way the record contracts are, are are printed out, the way touring is done. You read that your Bon Scott book, and it seems so primitive compared to the way bands tour, including ACDC today. And I apologize, I'm dominating this conversation. No, that's guys, fine. So. Go ahead. Nope. But uh, I, I just think I just think that people who are just reading the, um, you know, what what people are pulling out of the book are reading some things out of context. Or well, they're you know, reading they the to... smear campaigns that they're posting on social media. Well, like you shook me all night long, like your take on that, for example, on um, the horse's name was double time. Uh, the way Bon Scott spoke to, to women, especially um, Holly X about her eyes, uh, you know, the, those things on there, but they're taken out of context and it's going, well, Brian Johnson had nothing to do with back in black. You've never said that you're pointing out on certain sections so that's what I wanted to point out. You never said Brian Johnson did not contribute to the contribution of Back in Black or didn't have anything to do with the writing. You're pointing out certain aspects of Back in Black that maybe Bon Scott should have been credited for. That's my, and that's what yeah. I wanted to, to bring you, out. You made, you made some very good points there. In, in, you know, number one, that the Youngs was really a tribute to to Australian rock, you know, the Australian rock sound. That was what I was trying to write about. You know, Bondla Last Highway was a tribute to that era in American rock of, you know, the big arena shows and the festivals and, and that, that, that period that, that will never um, be repeated. You know, it, it was, I, I did it with a great deal of affection. I wrote those books with a great deal of affection for those two subjects and and of course you know in, in the first book it was about the the rise of 
of ACDC as a, as, as a band. And, and the second book was about sort of um, how America, uh, sorry, how, how ACDC broke in America. That, that's essentially what those two books were about. Um, uh, so I, I haven't set out, as I said before, to, to sort of assassinate anyone. Uh, it, it was done with with a great deal of kind of respect and affection. I've been super kind of um, careful about you know being respectful of the band every time that I've ever done an interview. You know, certainly about what I put in print in a book. Um, you know, I've, I've got to also be careful that I don't defame anyone. You know. Um, because at the end of the day, I'll be the person being sued. Um, so I, I don't have any kind of personal beef with any of these people. Certainly, you know, with Brian Johnson, I have no personal beef with Brian Johnson. Um, I, I seem to think that, you know, how, how people talk about me and, and me wanting to kind of you know, smear Brian, Brian Johnson. And I see it all the time on, on social media. It, it's, it's just ridiculous. Honestly, it's just, it's just crazy. As you say, the only thing that I do um, is present, you know, compelling information, things that people have said, uh, inconsistencies in the story or whatever, and, and then just sort of um, raise those questions. It's not a conspiracy theory. I, I, you know, I think even Brian Johnson in the book calls all this shit a, a conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. All it is is me and, and to a lesser degree, other writers over the years having pointed out that, you know, over the, over the past four decades, certain things have been said about Back in Black that are highly inconsistent, right? Such as, you know, you know, Bond wrote a little of the stuff, you know, coming out of the mouth of Angus Young. And then in subsequent interviews, oh, well, he, he wrote nothing. Okay, so what's the story? Yeah, as, as latest as uh, 1998, I think it was uh, a Rolling Stone interview, an Australian Rolling Stone interview. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Angus admitted that, you know, they wanted to finish, start the album because Bond did write some of the songs and it was going to be a tribute to Bond. So, yeah, but even, even, even putting aside, you know, whether Bond had actually written anything. I mean, you, there are even inconsistent sort of quotes about how much they had done. Right. You know? um, musically. There's all sorts of sort of inconsistencies in the, in the, the story around the lyrics of Back and Black. And then you have the, the separate issue of um, does, the, does the Bon Scott estate get royalties? Right. Excuse right? me for one second, guys. I got to go. I got some work related. I got to take care of. Sorry. All right. All right, Greg. We'll be, we'll be here. Just come back. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this whole thing around the, the royalties. Um, which was, you know, mentioned by by Vince Lovegrove, and, and people watching this should know that Vince Lovegrove was 
a very good friend of Bon Scott, who was in the band The Valentines with, with Bon. Um, Vince Lovegrove was certainly, I think, of the view that, uh, you know, Bon had had something to do with the lyrics to, to Back in Black. And he, you know, wrote on his personal blog just before his death. This is Vince I'm talking about. He died in a car crash. Um, that um, that he was told by by one of Bond's brothers that, that the family got royalties for Back in Black. Okay, well, what's the what's the what's the truth? Why is why is why is Back in Black on the Bondfest you know tribute album? Yeah, the Bondfire okay. thing. Yeah, that, I, you know, I never thought of that until I, I read your thing the other day about that. That is kind of weird, even though I kind of understand because you know a tribute album to Bond and that's all the Bond stuff, but. You know, yeah, it's like why repackage an album that's been, you know, already released. Right. Not only that, sold like what worldwide 35 million or something like that. Ridiculous exactly. number. So if, if you think yeah. about it, right? Um, if, 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 you know, Bond's family is getting royalties from Back in Black, um, it's a significant amount of money, mm. right? And the, the point I make in the first book about uh, the Youngs and certainly the way that they've treated various band members of ACDC over the years, look at Phil Rudd, um, look at Chris Slade, look mm-hmm. at Mark Evans, look at Tony Carinti, um, look at the way... Like Brian they, Johnson. Brian, <laughs> yeah, recently, Brian Johnson. Look at yeah. the way that they've been treated, Right. Um, why, why, why would they, they be making this extraordinary exception for Bon Scott? Right? You've got to remember at the end of um, 1979, Bon Scott Scott was completely off the rails. Right? He was high as a kite on drugs. You, you just look at photographs of him, you know, between... 1977 to 1979 to see the physical deterioration of Bob Scott. And so by, by the early months of, of 1980, we, you know, with some of those last photographs of Bond, he looked absolutely strung out and fucking wasted, right? So he, he, his, his life was, it was in a, in, a, in a pretty sort of dark state. And the, the shows were suffering. Um, you know, he had, he had always had a separate sort of life to, to the band. You know, he certainly turned up and did the shows and whatever and did, did whatever he needed to do. And then he sort of went off. He wasn't hanging out with the band sort of after shows and spending days with them. He was off with his various girlfriends in various cities around the United States. And then that, that's how he lived. That's what Pete Way told me. You know, he, he had the same sort of lifestyle. Um Oh, so uh, we this, know. <laughs> the idea that Youngs and, and Bond were like super close, I just don't think is true. I was trying to find somebody posted well, a picture of a uh, Bond Scott. Like Blackfoot, you know, uh, the Southern rock band Blackfoot, and um, the band Y&T when they toured with ACDC, uh, both mentioned that Bond would hang out at the tour bus. So, and that is independent of anything you reported because I don't, uh, you know. So they've said yeah. that. Yeah, yeah one of the, I, I, I can't remember who told me. Um, one of the guys, I think, from yesterday and today, told me the same yeah, story. Yeah, Y and T. Yeah, that's them. Yeah. Or, um, 
for for Bond the Last Highway. He said that you know the Bond didn't want to take the ACDC tour bus that he he got on their bus. You know, so he he had a separate life from the band. So this idea that you know it was like a band of brothers and you know this whole sort of story about you know the band not being able to go on without Bon Scott, I just don't believe. I don't believe at all. I just think it's it's just it's just a narrative that um, has been sort of constructed over the years. It has had various sort of layers of untruths added to it, and it's sort of just become this uh, fantasy, you know, slash mythology that 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 um, fans and the media have sort of subscribed to. Um, and and all sort of basis of reality has sort of been lost, and so you know my job was kind of looking at those myths and sort of you know deconstructing them and sort of finding out what the truth actually was. I well, Jesse, I'm one of those guys that want to believe these myth because I wanted to believe they're a band of brothers when I was a kid, because Bon Scott was my first rock hero, you know. Um, truthfully he's still i still love the guy um but um so yeah i was one of those guys that wanted to believe that you know i think but I, I was a kid i didn't know jack shit about the business or you know or oh, yeah. what a name is worth or anything like that whatsoever and i'll go back to my question but lewis sounds like you wanted to say something well i, I i'm thinking that the scott family probably wanted some kind of restitution for whatever bond was dealing with because it you know the fact that he seemed strung out and the fact that he was unhappy especially with that final tour and you know he kind of voiced that he wanted to leave um you know if there's one thing i've learned and i'm a complete outsider of the music industry i'm happy to say 20 years of musician never signed and i've seen what happened to friends of mine that did get signed you know, there's this availability of every possible indulgence that you can have. And rather than warn you about it, it's kind of enabled. Like, for example, Lear Cohen, I actually posted a short about him where he's talking about how he signs um, rappers who talk about their drug use. And a lot of times those rappers end up dying because of their drug use, because of that drug use. Never thinking about, is this going to negatively affect their community that they come from? No, it's all to make a buck. As, as, as much as we're grateful that the music industry has given us some of the titans like ACDC, like Iron Maiden, like Black Sabbath, like Def Leppard, you know, in those bands have emerged stories of some of the toxicities that the music industry is, well, Notorious. Gross. Lou, are you there? <laughs> I would tell. There he is back now. Well, so, but, you're you know, look, Sorry. Look at, look at Phil Rudd's face. Did anything I say come through? <laughs> Most of the yeah, every day. Okay, look thanks. At, look at Phil Rudd's face. Right. Mm. He was he was this incredibly handsome man uh, at one point, and now. You know, look at Phil Rudd. He has an age well. You know that that's right. that's a life in rock and roll for you. Yeah, 
I've got a question for you, Jesse. Mutt Lang has never gone on the record about the making of either Highway to Hell or Back in Black or practically anything else. Mm-hmm. Any? Do you have any insight why he so does not talk about any of that at all? He's I'm just sure private you in general. Talking to him. Yeah. I mean, do you have any insight in that at all? Well, look, all I can say is I, I did my utmost to connect with Mutt Lang. Um, or Langer, however you want to say it, yeah. um, as, as as much as I could, and and I actually managed to get a couple of emails sent to him. Um, but my friend who was passing the emails on sort of got back to me and said, "Look, he just doesn't want to comment on anything uh, publicly, and so won't be involved." Um, Look, uh, I think it probably suits Mutt Lang to some degree uh, to be private the way he is. So mm-hmm. it sort of just adds to his mystique. Um, you know, the less you say, the more people are fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. And it prob- probably adds a few zeros to his, you know, contract. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, yeah, it's the same, the same, it's the same sort of thing that, you know, the, uh, football coaches do, you know, the, the less that you talk and the more people are fascinated by you and the, the more that they want you to work for them. So I don't know, there are, there are just some people who are quite happy to talk and then there are others who, you know, choose. Wayne, anything in the chat you want to bring up? Uh, well, I just want to say uh, thanks for joining the chat. There's a lot of people in here actually right now. Pink Summers, Andrew Peters, uh, BP, James Karen, and uh, I think there was somebody else near, but I can't, uh, I can't find him now. But uh, anyway, uh, earlier on, uh, Pink Summers asked a question. I got to find it here. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, if she's not mistaken, uh, Doug Thaler believed, the bon, uh, believed that Bon Scott wrote You Shook Me All Night Long. Was he not their manager from 1977 to 1979? He was their tour manager of, of their North American tours. Um, and I met Doug in um, New York when I was uh, riding the Youngs. Uh, and we stayed in touch. And now that guy Excuse was like, super close to, <clears throat> super close to, to ACDC. You know, he knew George Young. He knew the whole ACDC apparatus very intimately, right. so I think it was it was pretty telling that you know someone who was as connected as as Doug Thaler was to ACDC. And remember Doug Thaler, he was in a band with Ronnie James Dio. He he sort of managed uh, Bon Jovi, I think, and Motley Crue at one point. He's a very connected guy. Yeah, yeah, he did manage those guys in the 80s. You're right. And uh, he was an elf with Dio. Wow. That's right. And so that's where he met George Young because the Easy Beats came to to America. Elf did some shows with the Easy Beats and that's how sort of Doug Thaler got the job with ACDC through his connection to George Young. So Doug Thaler's coming to me and, and, and saying, you know, you can bet your life that that Bond wrote, you shook me all night long. And and Doug was actually 
having phone calls from from Bon Scott just before Bon died. So he spoke to Bon on the phone. He knew what Bon's mental state was, right? He he knew the guy. You know, why is he telling me these things if 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 you know there's not some sort of uh, substance to it? You know, and then you've got David Krebs. David Krebs was the, you know, the the head of Lieber Krebs, the management company that signed ACDC. ACDC dumped Michael Browning and went with Lieber Krebs. And suddenly ACDC's on these sort of, you know, big festival shows. Um, uh, you know, that that's really when their, their career took off. You know, Lieber Krebs is mentioned but actually on the back of Back in Black. Mm. It's actually it's actually printed on, on the cover of Back in Black, right? So David still gets a cut of royalties for Back in Black because he was their manager at one point. You know, David Krebs is coming to me and saying, oh, look, you know, I wasn't involved in this decision to, um, you know, write the credits the way that they were written for, for Back in Black. But I think, you know, Bond had something to do with the back in black. This is the fucking manager of ACDC, right? That's pretty, pretty fucking significant, pretty compelling. Yeah, you would think. Yeah. So, you know, why, why aren't more people like the Rolling Stones of the world sort of paying attention to this? We're talking about, you know, what is regarded, whether it's, completely true or not the second biggest selling album of all time right. right it's a big fucking story but who's fucking writing about it and, and in, the, I, in, the, in the american press no one no one. Who's, who's doing podcasts about it apart from you guys are, is the are the anti-trunks of the world doing podcasts about it Eddie trunks too busy talking about white lion 35 years <laughs> later Anyways, Greg, uh, did did you have any questions uh, for um, for Jesse? Uh, not really. I'm pretty goddamn pissed off about work. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of forgot pretty much everything I was going to say. Honestly, sorry about. We have that. to go back in the chat and look. No, uh, but it's interesting, interesting. You're wearing a UFO T-shirt. Um, <laughs> but uh, there is an interesting thing like you always bring up is um how uh, you know one, one thing i i did want to mention and i was figuring maybe jesse might know more about this since he did the research for the books but i could swear it was in a major magazine or something and at first i was thinking it was malcolm but now it might have been angus but i could swear jesse that one of the brothers said in print somewhere straight out even said there was a rough demo recording of hell's bells that they had done with bond it wasn't a finished song but i remember specifically them mentioning hell's bells and i think maybe you shook me all night long Mm. yes Uh, you know look i've heard so many stories over the years about you know demos existing and people having said that you know that they got a cassette tape in the mid 80s of some you know some rough demo of you know bon scott singing a couple of these songs but nothing has ever materialized and what's amazing is that 
there are, I think, you know, a couple of <laughs> of recordings on YouTube that people are convinced <laughs> is Bon Scott singing <laughs> You Shook Me All Night Long, but it's not. I, I can yeah. say that. It's not. No, and uh, and by demo, I, I didn't mean something recorded. I meant uh, more like they were demoing it for each other, like having a rehearsal session, not necessarily that they were uh, making a tape. Okay, but but you raise an interesting point, right? Which is that you know the 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 way that sort of ACDC worked was that you know Bond would be sort of writing lyrics over a long period of time. The Youngs would be kind of working on their riffs and the music, you know, and songs would sort of take shape over months and months and months. And this is sort of what happened with, um, you know, Power Age. Highway to Hell, and then you get to Back in Black, and the the current conventional story is that you know Bond was about to turn up to the recording studio having nothing prepared, right? Yeah, fucking bullshit, right? Absolute fucking bullshit. So you know, I spoke to Silver Smith. Silver Silver was you know Bond's Bond's muse. She basically was. Um, you know, the the inspiration for most of the songs on Power Age. So, you know, we could all thank, you know, Silver for that. Um, before she died, she said that Bond called her on the night, uh, the evening before he died and said, I've finished writing all the songs for the album. Let's go out and celebrate. Right? And that he, that, that's why he called her. He said, let's go out. I, I, I want to hit the town because I've, I've finished doing the writing. And she told me and, and, and other people have told me that basically his writing process was that he would go away for a week or two or a month or whatever and just work on his lyrics. Mm-hmm. And then by the time that he turned up for, to the recording studio, basically he had it all ready, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then now, now the story is, Oh, you know, Bond, you know, you know, come down to the studio. You know, we're ready to see you. We've done all the music. Um, and and now you can start writing lyrics. No, that's just not the way it worked. That's not what he did. Anyone who knew him will tell you he had a he had a notebook, he had these exercise pads, they were legal pads that he was working and scribbling um lyrics on. Um, and he w- it w- would walk around with these these notepads or these exercise books, and 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 they were always in his possession. All his gold girlfriends told me that that's what he walked around with. You know, he he had his 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 exercise pads. He had his comb, and you know, he was quite a neat person. You know, he was a very organised person, but he never not had his notebook on him. And where is the fucking notebook? I say when I remember reading the book that it just did everything, all that stuff just disappeared after he passed away. Yeah. So uh, Ian Jeffrey, who was, um, uh, you know, very close to the band, uh, a tour manager of, of ACDC, um, uh, who uh, spoke to me for the Youngs and he was very vague about it. He still was, you know, quite sort of 
upset, I think, about how he had been sort of sacked by the brand, by the band, and um, uh, un- unhappy about how everything had gone down. But you know, Ian Jeffrey was the guy who we're led to believe basically went into the to the flat after Bond's flat after he had died um and on the on the request of management and Ian Jeffrey you know and, and this has sort of been this 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 rumor and hasn't been confirmed by Ian Jeffrey at all um that um he actually is in possession of, I think it's about 15 sheets of paper of, of Bond's lyrics. And, and um, Ian, uh, people can read the Youngs and, and sort of read what he says, but he, he, he basically says, you know, a little bit of Bond's writing is on back in black. And then he gets all vague and says, well, you know, maybe not. So, I think he didn't want to piss it, anyone off. Right. Uh, he didn't want to upset anyone in ACDs. He obviously still has a lot of affection for them and he probably wants to sort of, you know, reconnect with them. So he's not looking to kind of step on anyone's toes. Um, but well, then, I, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say that the, the other thing that you have to kind of also remember was that Bon Scott was actually working on... Um, some lyrics for a French band called Trust um, who who had recorded an album in French and then they w- were going to do an album in English and he was helping those guys out with um, uh, their their songs and sort of uh, you know uh, you know what's the best word translating them into English mm-hmm. um, and he was doing that around the same time. Um, so either Ian Jeffrey possibly came into possession of some of Bond's lyrics for ACDC or possibly, you know, Bond's lyrics for trust. Who knows? It's all very vague, but, but he, he, he essentially said, you know, Bond had some things written. I guess anyone doesn't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's say in case anyone doesn't know who Trust is, they're the band that wrote Antisocial that Anthrax covered and made a hit in the United States. But there's two things that I want to mention from the um, uh, chat. Uh, Greg, uh, the magazine that you were referencing was uh, James Karen believes that it was Kerrang that that uh, quote was taken from. And also, uh, James Karen also said, you'll never get anything out of Mutt Lang in the world of speedboats. He's a submarine. <laughs> well you, you blew your chance with shania twain mutt so oh well <laughs> sorry manny go uh, ahead jesse it was part of your suspicion or not because again you weren't out with an agenda to whether brian wrote or didn't write because you're writing a biography of bond scott was part of it because prior to acdc in Jordy, brian only had i think four or five writing credits I have the albums. I, I'm, I'm not at my house, so I go grab them, you know, the Jordy albums. And then Back in Black, Listen to he every is day. a lyric writer to every song. Some, again, like, I like giving the dog a bone, but I am 
damn sure Bond did not write that. Uh, it's so ridiculous. But anyway, you know, is was that part of um, was that part of a question you felt should be asked? Because Brian wasn't known as a as a yeah, lyric that, writer prior to um, Back yeah. in Black. I think. Yeah, I mean, he wrote. I mean, maybe six songs. Maybe, you know, I don't have the albums in front of me. Yeah, it's about it's about it's less it's about half a dozen or less than half a dozen. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I list them in the book, and they were all completely forgettable sort of Geordie songs uh, that he had co-written. I think with the band's guitarist. Yeah, Um, big mouth one. Yeah, that's right. And um, so, really, he didn't have any kind of pedigree really in in songwriting before um, he got the ACDC job. Um, and there's a guy, there's a guy on uh, Bon Scott Forum on Facebook, which is the, this group that I run with a bunch of people, um, a guy called Larry Black, who, who made a point the other day. He said, oh, you know, we led to believe that, you know, ACDC the entire sort of ACDC kind of apparatus, which, you know, is, is a very big apparatus, you know, that, that they decided that they would fly, you know, 7,000 kilometres to the Bahamas, you know, book, book a hotel at, you know, Compass Point, book the studio, um, haul all their sort of gear and everything else out to the Caribbean, um, and sort of, you know, ask Brian, you know, <laughs> a couple of days before they sort of press record, you know, on this new album. Oh, by the way, can you write lyrics? How does that, how does that work? I mean, honestly, you, you don't know whether he can write lyrics or not. You've just hired the guy <laughs> to, to write songs for your new album and, and you just sort of just happened to ask him at the last minute oh by the way he's rather sus <laughs> and he hasn't been able to write anything as good since like you've mentioned well, well, too. yeah <laughs> yeah and, and, and supposedly about a supposedly, walk in a park <laughs> right don't reference that again Annie. <laughs> and supposedly this perfect rock song which is you should be me all night long which i think anyone uh who's fair will will say yeah that sounds like a bon scott song mm-hmm. um you know supposedly brian johnson miraculously wrote this yeah. in 15 minutes with the help of the ghost of bon scott right this is a guy who only had six co-writing credits on on a bunch of shitty geordie songs suddenly comes up with you you shook me all night long i just don't believe it Nah, I smoked a lot of PCP too. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> Plus, the melody is I, not just the lyrics, but melody-wise. Right, they're very. And again, I'm not trying to it's take. Um, I, I I am a Brian Johnson fan, but melody-wise, it sounds like a Bond tune. You know, she was a fast machine. Bond Bond loved American women. I mean, that's you know American thighs. That's totally a uh, Mr. Scott right there. Okay, so. You know that's the, that's a good point. So so okay. Let's let's start with the hypothesis that Bon Scott wrote "You Shook Me All Night Long." Okay, well let's let's go back and look at you know 
the songs on Highway to Hell and Power Age, what are they about? Oh, they're about Bond's life. They're about women that he knew. They're about his financial struggles or whatever, or, you know, getting rejected in a, in a bar or, or some woman that he's met, right? They're all about his life, mm. right? He wrote songs from his life. That's, that's what people connect with. That's, that's why those songs still resonate with people because there's, there's some sort of personal element to them. That's what later periods sort of ACDC songs don't have. They're just complete shit, right? Because there's no, there's no heart in them. There's no personal story behind them. Right. The reason why Bond songs are, are so great was that um, he, he's, he's putting himself in the songs and we connect with them. And so if you, if you start with the hypothesis that, you know, Bond wrote you you should be all night long okay well then let's look at the lyrics look look at the the verse about you know american thighs um you know you there's the line what is it um i i really uh, not a not um the american thighs line i that one as well but made a meal out of me and then come back for more. That's totally something Bonds yeah. would write. I mean, okay. 100%. So she kept her motor clean, right? Okay. That's the first line, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Oh, she was machine, motor clean, yeah. Second line, right. Um, okay, so I went to... <laughs> Uh, one of Bond's girlfriends. He had another. You know, had another girlfriend in, in Miami called um, uh, Patty Bishop. It was this hot chick, hot blonde chick in um, Miami. And she said, "He's talking about vaginas, right?" <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> he loves women with. Clean pussies. Right? <laughs> There's nothing he he couldn't. My virgin off. ears. <laughs> I mean, we we we've all heard Crab City and Blue. I can understand why. <laughs> you don't want to be sideways walking. Um, you, know, you can you, you can put the you can put that quote in your uh, you know your trailer, Wayne. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, By the but, way, okay. so she kept the motor clean, right? So let's 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 go with the idea that you know it's about a clean vagina, right? An ode to um, Summer's Eve. <laughs> she tells me this. She tells me this story about another woman that that Bond had sort of been involved with, who had this stinky vagina, and how he. <laughs> this is true. Right. No. Anyone who's offended out there by biology, shut up. That's all I'm going to say. And, and and that he dumped this woman basically because she he couldn't stand her stinky vagina. Right? <laughs> this is so bad, Scott. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> she made it clean. Now suddenly I'm looking at that line. It's like, yeah, now it fucking makes sense. Right. It makes sense. And then you marry that with. Um, you know, American Thighs and Double Time and, and, and all the other things that, you know, that I wrote about in, in Bond the Last Highway. Um, and, I'm, and I'm down 
in Miami with, with Holly X, you know, and she's standing in front of me and I'm seeing photographs of her from 1979 in Miami when she was with Bond. Um, and she's got a, she's got a horse called Double Top. Mm. Um, it's like shit. Now I can, I can see Bond writing this song because the, all, all the, all the, I'm starting to join all the dots here, you know, and I'm not going out and I'm, and I'm, I'm not saying in the book that this is, you know, the, the truth. I'm just yeah. saying it's pretty fucking compelling yeah. that if You Shook Me All Night Long is a Bon Scott song, then I think this is a pretty, pretty compelling kind of explanation for, for the lyrics, uh, certainly to that verse. Um, and she says to me, you know, that, that she went out to um, the Newport Hotel in Miami and that Bond turned to her and said, you know, you have chartreuse eyes. And then I'm looking at the line sightless eyes in the song and I'm thinking, what the fuck does sightless eyes mean? A <laughs> <laughs> blind chick. No, we don't know. <laughs> She's blind, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> I, and and then I'm thinking, okay, so maybe that that could be one of the lines that was edited or or played with, you know, that maybe something was changed. And and I think if you read, you know, other verses in that song, um, it doesn't have the same sort of zip and and kind of um, feel of that 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 first verse. Right, right. It's not not as well written. I think is is it the second verse? Is it's not as well written as the first verse? No, it's right? not. You know, she. Uh... By the way, I, um... I don't have the lyrics in front of me, but like I, I remember, you know, like reading the lyrics. I'm thinking, okay, that first verse is fucking great. The second one's not so good, right? Yeah, what's the second verse? So okay, let's let's go yeah. with the idea. Cool you know, me that- down. Or take another round or something like that. It's oh, yeah, yeah. Ring, it's take about, another swing. It turns into a boxing ring metaphor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so and and you, you you bring up giving the dog a bone. I agree with you. I don't think that that is a Bon Scott line. I, don't, I just don't think it's something that he would have ever. Yeah, I These listened to it again this morning, and I was thinking, you know what? I do like the song, but it's not as cleverly written as any song off Powerage. You know, so yeah, but but also it's it's sort of smutty and 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 um, you know what's the word? Great school um, misogynistic. <laughs> well, and Bond was never misogynistic. No, you know, no, no. Just the young, the youngs were, but Bond wasn't. You know, but the the young sort of had that, you know, that sort of ratty little schoolboy sort of feel about them you know when it came to women you know that they were you know and you look at all the sort of songs written by acdc sort of post bond scott that that are about women and they're all fairly crude you know oh yeah yeah bond Bond wasn't go down comes to mind bond 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 wasn't crude um i think he he you know yes he he loved fucking women but he didn't you know, he didn't sort of um, diminish them in any way. They, they were sort of joyful, 
things, you know, joyful, joyful subjects for his songs. There was nothing um, nasty or crude about um, his songs about women. And so, you know, given the dog a bone, it just doesn't... That doesn't, doesn't, fit, doesn't like, fit his style. Like Bond to me. No, and, and he has a very distinct <laughs> swing and flavor to the way he would write and phrase things, and that just doesn't sound anywhere near it any part of that song exactly unlike you all night long which has bon scott all over Mm -hmm. and hell's bells too parts of it certain verses and then like you were saying same thing with uh you shook me all night long you get to the next verse and it's like yes (laughs) i don't know who wrote this but yeah, but like, okay, so and then you look at Back in Black, the song, you know, people saying, oh, you know, it's about, it's a tribute to Bond, it's about a memorial to Bond, you know, it's about wearing black. No, you, you read it in a different way. Let's start with the proposition that it's about money, mm-hmm. okay? Then, for me, the lyrics start to make sense. Yeah, and you look at, you look at, Bond's life around the time that he would have been writing songs for Back in Black and what was going on in his life. Suddenly, finally, after fucking years of, of hard slog on the road in America, he had money in his bank account. And I'm the only journalist in the world who has ever gone and found, found out how much money Bond had in his bank account, right? It was $30,000, $31,000, right? And this was... And I found that because I had to, you know, pay for a fucking probate, you know, from the Supreme Court here in Sydney. Um, you know, it cost me $100, $200 or whatever to get this certificate. But I got, you know, the proof of how much money he had. Okay. And that was probably from the royalties of, of Highway to Hell. So he was back in the money. And he was, he was doing a successful follow-up to, to Highway to Hell. You know, and, and so this idea that, okay... Let's 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 think about it. You know, the the last American show that he did was in Ohio in what was it, October nineteen seventy nine. He dies in February nineteen eighty. So how many months is that? That's like five months or something. October yeah. to February. That's about four to five months. Yeah, four yeah. to five months. Okay, seriously, are we led to believe that he had nothing prepared? No, there's absolutely no chance in the world that no. Bond um, didn't have lyrics ready. Of course he was fucking working on lyrics. It's just, it's insulting to even suggest otherwise. Anyone with half hey, a brain knows that. Hey, Jesse, I found a quote from Mick Wall. Mick Wall's book from ACDC, Hell in a Bad Place to Be. Malcolm Dome claims that shortly before he died, talking about Bond, showed him his book of lyrics. He had sheets of lyrics that he kept in a file, carried them around. Mm. And he'd been showing me some of the ideas he'd been working for back in black, not the song back in black, but songs for the next album. There are a couple of lines that she told me to come, but I was already there. And he saw, and he saw it written down. These were lyrics lines used on back in black that Von Ropa wasn't credited with this day. He wasn't sure what happened. Dome also stated, Bond proudly showed me some of the scribbles he'd put down in preparation for the album he felt would define ACDC and op- open up new possibilities. 
and then he said, it's hard to be absolutely accurate from the distance of a quarter century through the haze of alcohol, which in, in, you know, which they drank, but a few lines stick to him. This Malcolm Doan, Malcolm Doan had, he's gone now. And Mick Wall wrote this book and neither one of those men are work for ACDC and you know, they don't work with you either. You know, that's independent yeah. of you. So, and, and Manny stuff. and I have interviewed Mick Wall and he's a very uh, courteous, nice and reputable guy. So, yeah. And he, um, and again, Mick Wall, like you was not looking to prove he was telling a story like you are. And Mick Wall is not saying definite. This is something that was, that was told to him, uh, Malcolm Dome, who we was friends with. And Malcolm Dome was good friends with Pete Way and Pete Way knew Bon Scott. So that's probably how they met way back in 1979 or 80. So, so Malcolm Dome, Dome is saying that he saw the line she told me to come. But yeah, I'm that's sure. what he said. Yeah. In on, you know, Bond's notepad, right? Yeah. Silver Smith, who was his girlfriend, told me before she died that that was a line that he had used in a letter to one of their friends. I think as far back as 1976, right? So you've got two people saying that that line has the connection to Bon Scott. And then suddenly what? It, it materializes in um, You Shook Me All Night Long, but a, a song that is, has nothing to do with. It just doesn't stand up. And you mentioned, you know, Mick Wall. Um, you know, credit to Mick Wall for, he wrote a book back in, I think it was 2012, about ACDC, um, where, he, you know, he really did go into the heroin thing. He's uh, the only one besides you. And, oh, well, there was Mark Putterford, and I have to credit Mark Putterford. This was back in, uh, what was it, the 90s or something. Mark Putterford died. Um, but he he was, I think, the first person to kind of, you know, sort of raise the idea that, that Bonnet had a heroin overdose. And Malcolm Dome also looked into the whole heroin thing as well. Malcolm, I think, said that he died of um, injecting heroin. Um, so, you know, there's me, Mick Wall, Mark Putterford, Malcolm Dome. There was Vince Lovegrove. Um you know, who, who have been looking into these, you know, issues like the lyrics and the heroin and so on. It's, it's not all just me. There, there have been other writers, you know, wor working on this. And I've, I've certainly, you know, um, you know, paid credit to those people in the book and, and will acknowledge that because, you know, that's, that's, that's what we're here to do as writers. We're, we're kind of, um, that's what any historian does that you absorb as many sort of, you know, sources uh, and utilise, you know, as many sort of, you know, written interviews and, and, and recorded interviews and books and, and whatever else and sort of assemble it all together and, and try to get to the truth. And that's all I tried to do with these books. And, and the more that I look into the whole issue of the, the back and black lyrics issue, the more that I think something just doesn't sit right. It's just not making um, making sense to me the way that the band put forward the story. And the thing is, all I've ever done in in my work is bring up the inconsistencies. 
And what I find real interesting about that, just to, I kept trying to say this earlier, but I forgot um, to, to go along with the controversy and Brian's response or whatever. Um, he, 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 the whole way they try to sensationalize it is ridiculous and they don't actually put anything you say into the interview or even this bullshit that pops up online, you know, you just, you present facts and inconsistencies and connect the dots, but you don't say, Oh, this is the absolute truth or make a personal attack on Brian, but that's what it's turned into. And absolutely nowhere does that happen. But it's funny that Brian said you're, it's a conspiracy theory because it looks more like they're trying to form the conspiracy theory to make it quiet. Well, yes. The more you know. Absolutely. So, you know, he, he says it's a conspiracy theory and it's fucking bullshit. And then, you know, he gets paid all this money to, to write this um, autobiography that's just been released. And, you, you know, you look in the book and, uh, and you, you look at what he sort of said about the lyrics issue, the back and back, it's like one paragraph, right? It's probably the biggest, it's probably the biggest fucking issue around his entire career, right? It's, 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 it's the elephant in the room. It's been there for 42 years and you write a book and you, can, you only deal with it in one fucking paragraph. Right? Come on. We're not we're not stupid. So um I think all he's done by actually even addressing it is is sort of uh, I, I think um raise more questions about it. Yeah, yeah. Put, put it's it back in the open. Credence. It's more credence. Yes, exactly. And given more attention to it. And, and you know, the fascinating thing is is that when I started on this whole sort of ACDC book journey back in 2012, 2013 with the Youngs, um, was that, uh, you know, I, I was, was going into territory where, you know, I, I, I wasn't a known quantity where... where um, people, I think, sort of looked at what I did with a good degree of scepticism and was like, you know, who the fuck are you? And, and how, how dare you say these things? How, how dare you print that? How dare you say that Bond died of a heroin overdose and, and so on? Um, and it's been really interesting on a personal level over those years to kind of see the transformation in people's views and opinions about these issues. So it's gone from, you know, you're a complete bullshit artist, Jesse, to I believe you. You know, I am now convinced. And, the, you know, the tenor of a lot of these conversations that I'm seeing online um, is that, you know, people feel let down from, you know, so to go from, you know, ACDC is the greatest band in the world, ACDC fan forever to I feel really let down. I just want to know the truth. Um, there's been a real switch 
And so, like, if we 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 do any sort of poll on on, on Bon Scott Forum about um, you know the, the lyrics to Back in Black or you know Bond dying of heroin or anything like that, um, I would say sort of eighty five to ninety percent of the people who respond to those things um, are in agreement with with my own views, and so that's very satisfying. And and it's not like I, as you say, as you said at the beginning, I never set out to take anyone down. All I wanted to do was just raise and ask questions about things that there seemed to be a lot of con- contradictions um, and inconsistencies, and and just get some answers. And you know, the si- significant thing about you know what Brian sort of said during the week is that's the, really the first time since the book came out, well, since both books came out, that he has ever really addressed um, that issue. He's done it in a very unsatisfactory way, but it's still the first time that he's done it. Yeah, so there's got to be something there. Do you think we're ever going to get that answer? Do you think somebody will eventually spill the beans? Oh, uh, good question. Uh, (laughs) uh, Phil Rudd? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think Angus Young will, but you know, it's hard to say. I don't think anyone on the management side of things would do it. I don't think Peter Mensch is going to do anything. Um, well, Chris Slade has kind of mentioned that he's been slagged by the band on two different occasions. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, the feeling I get is, you know, the thing is that, that people need to understand there, there are things that are sort of said publicly and there are things that are said privately. And near the twain shall meet, you know, and... Yeah. So I hear a lot of things privately that I can't say publicly. Certainly, like uh, what people connected to Bon Scott actually say privately is very different to what they say publicly. Right. So that they're and and I, obviously I can't reveal who they are because I'm betraying the confidence. Um, but there are you know a lot of people who obviously have a stake in sort of the mythology of Bond Scott and sort of um, perpetuating this myth and keeping it going and, you know, it makes money. That's fine. Um, But, you know, my, my interest is, is as a biographer, Mm. you know, I'm not making any money from these books anymore. I mean, that, that, that's all stopped. You know, yeah. I'm I'm just doing this out of respect for him, um, as as an artist, um, and and I think that that if if any of Bond's words appear on Back in Black, he should be credited. Yeah. Uh, as a writer, if I if I had written something, and someone else had used it, or worked or worked lyrics around what I had written or whatever or absorb, absorb my words into something, I'll still want credit. It's my work. You know? So if yeah. if, Bob, 
if, if Bond's words appear on Back in Black, as has been suggested by Angus Young, um, I think people have a right to know. Yeah. What's wrong with that? What's right. wrong with it? What, I don't know. What's the point of taking his name off the album? I mean, just to make Brian Johnson feel better about himself that, you know, he maybe wrote some lyrics on there and he wasn't using any of Bon Scott's. It doesn't make sense, you know. Just, yeah, but I think, why I think would anybody the, care, you know? The, the greater world, you know, <clears throat> beyond, you know, rat salad review, right? The, 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 the vast masses who listen to Eddie Trunk and Howard Stern and. Stop you know, mentioning Rick, Eddie Trunk. You're not going to watch over again. <laughs> <laughs> we have credibility. Our music tastes go past 1989. <laughs> who, who, who read Rolling and, you know, whatever. I think if it came out that, you know, there was some sort of acknowledgement that, you know, Bond had contributed lyrics to, to Back and Black, I think it would change the way that people think about Bon Scott, as it should, because it's the second biggest selling album of all time. Yep. You know? So, as I said, it's about, it's about me respecting him as a human being as, and, and, and as an artist. It's not about me making money from it. I can, I can assure you I'm not making money from it anymore. It's, it, I'm doing this because I care about it. I care about him as a person. And, and, and when you write a biography of someone... And spend four years working on it. Right, and you got you got deeply. You feel close to them. Right. Yeah. And you and you, you know, you 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 develop a personal connection um, to the idea of this person that you you've you've put on the page. Yeah. And and that was the only thing that I was trying to do. I I, I went out and sort of wrote that book because I was incredibly dissatisfied with everything that I'd I'd read about Bon Scott. Uh, and I wanted to get to know him a bit better. And, and you know, I went and, and worked on that book for a, for a long time. You can't help but, but sort of feel sort of intimate with him. Yeah. You know? What I like about your book is, well, there's <laughs> a lot of things I like about your book. I like your writing in general. I read a lot, so I'm into literature. But besides that, I like the fact that you, uh, Bon Scott comes off as a complex likable person he does he's not a character he's a human being and i also like the fact that you um you capture an error that is gone and not just the music industry just the, the lifestyle that that revolved around him wasn't he didn't live it in a vacuum and you capture that in the book um and but i think most importantly what you get out of the book is you walk away liking the guy you do walk, you, you realize how human he is because he, he, he is a mess. When the, I, and that, I'm not saying that to put him down. I, I'm a fan of the man. But you walk away walking, you walk away from the book, liking him as a human being, realizing what a loss it is, not just as, a, as an artist, but just to people who actually knew and loved him. And, uh, but he comes off as a complex, likable, real person, not a character that, I kind of grew up being around. You read the stories, you just read about him drinking. That was part of him, but there was more to him than that. And that's what I liked about your book, you know. Thank you. And that's exactly what I, I wanted to do. I wanted to sort of portray him as a real human being. And that's why I get really annoyed with, you know, like the people who are like running Bonfest in, in Scotland. 
no, it's great that that town has like this statue of Bon Scott. Um, um, but the but the 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 Bon Scott that they have in their mind is very different to the Bon Scott that you read about in my book. Yeah. I don't think it bears any kind of relation to that Bon Scott, and they're not interested in that Bon Scott. And they and they, and they you know this is a Bon Scott festival that has absolutely no interest in my story about Bon at all. Right? They they totally reject it because it goes against the idea that they have of Bon Scott. Right? Right. They they, they can't get their heads around the fact that, you know, oh, he died of a, died of a heroin overdose. Oh, no, no, that doesn't sort of gel or marry with, you know, the idea we have. This is not the idea that, you know, we're, we're going around and sort of commercialising. And it's not a, it's not the idea that the, the Bon Scott estate is commercialised. And so by writing that book, I've created, I guess, enemies in that sense. You know, that yeah. they, have, they have their own idea about who he is and I have my own idea. And all I want people to do if you're if you're somewhere in the middle just read the fucking book and make up your own mind don't sort of necessarily go and believe what you read about online um you know all these people saying you know that i'm a fucking scumbag mercenary writer who's just in it for the money who's cashing in you know, who's got no interest in, you know, Bon Scott as a human being, you know, who's disrespecting the family, who fucking hates, hates ACDC. Do you even listen to ACDC <laughs> anyway? Think you can't? You know, I mean... <laughs> I obviously haven't read the book. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if we honestly thought that you were a blue journalist, we wouldn't have even asked you on in the first place. And... uh the fact that on your um, message board on Facebook and somebody asked you right off the bat, you know, you should look to speak out about this and you immediately singled out us, Rat Salad Review. Um, we're grateful that we made such a positive impression on you the first time around that you wanted to come back around a second time to speak your piece. And uh, that's something that... Uh, uh, we don't take lightly. We're very grateful for that. Thank you. Yeah, that, that pleasure. Because you know, you guys actually, you know, one, you're you're good listeners. Two, you ask good questions, and three, you kind of know the subject. So it, it's good for me to talk with people who, you know, have some some grounding in in the basics of of the story, you know, and and that you can ask and intelligent questions about the subject. So there's nothing more frustrating to an author, you know, sort of working in this sphere of, of you know, sort of music books or, or ACDC when, you know, you, you talk to an interviewer who, who knows absolutely nothing about ACDC. And so their, their, their knowledge of ACDC comes from watching um, behind the music, you know, documentaries or whatever, or, you know, that shit on, you see on YouTube. I mean, these fucking crap documentaries 
um, about ACDC or these little clips that sort of appear every week. I mean, they're just complete fucking garbage. Yeah, there's tons of that. Garbage out there. You know, I'm always surprised. Uh, in Australia, you usually pronounce ACDC as Akadaka, but you don't. Why? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> that is a very good question. Wayne. That is an Holy excellent crap. question. Oh, I'm a snob. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Akadaka. Akadaka. Yeah, I don't like. I, 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 I don't call it Akadaka. But I'm not a. I don't get it. To be honest I'm... with you, I, I think that that's that's a bit of a myth too. I mean, I think Australians call ACDC ACDC, but um, maybe maybe you know in the seventies, eighties. Um, Akadaka had a bit more sort of prevalence as a term, but I, I don't really hear that that much, really. Really? Now. really? Huh? Like, it was funny because I, I was watching, I, you know, Conan O'Brien, right? Like, yeah, the, uh, yeah. He went to Australia and then they somehow oh. brought up ACDC and then somebody did say Akadaka. And then, then we had another guy that was uh, from another band that came, came on our show, was from Australia, and he calls him Akadaka too. So it's kind of that interesting. Yeah, but Eddie that. Trunk doesn't, so it's ACDC. Yeah, so that's the only thing that matters. Well, Trunk. He's the authority, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fuck Eddie Trunk. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, in Canada, they call Russia's song YYZ, YYZ. You know? So. I can think we have kangaroos, you know, hopping down the, the middle of Sydney. You know, it's just... <laughs> well, well, now you've ruined my trip to Sydney. Thank you, Jesse. Now, like, that's what I was looking forward to. But he does yes, have a big spider. Every day at nine, they all turn and face the west and blow a few notes on their didgeridoos. In goes eight, my baby. There, I said it. Okay, I'm sorry. Never well, mind. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take off a Jesse. Thank you for uh for uh, apologize if I dominated the the questions, but thank you for talking cool. to me and uh, talking to all of us. So it's been a pleasure. Oh, thanks very much. So thank bro. you. Thanks for joining us, Manny. And uh, one last thing, that un- ACDC uh, unrelated. Um, but in two- 2017, you wrote a, a book about um, an Indian, the only Indian that was killed by the Nazis. And then somebody, and you posted that book on your blog because you couldn't get anybody to print it or whatever. And then somebody else took that book. So did anything ever come of that? Do you ever get that guy to, uh, you know, away from yeah. that or whatever? Yeah. And the funny thing was my um, my father said, you know, you're, you're running a bit of a risk, you know, someone sort of pinching that, mm. <laughs> you know, by putting it on your blog. And it, as, as, as I said, I, I tried to get that up as a book and it would have been a fascinating book to, to write. This guy, Indian, was shot by the Nazis in Paris, the only Indian executed by the Nazis. And then, you know, I find some other writer has sort of, you know, put it on his Facebook as if it's something that he sort of came up with and, and researched himself. And it's shocking, but that's... That's what happens with social media. But I did confront this guy and I wrote to him and said, what the fuck are you doing, pal? Yeah. Um, where do you get off doing that? And actually someone had sort of written to me and sort of said this person had particular form in that area. And so, you know, it wasn't just me, but um, he took it down. I think he was highly embarrassed by the whole thing. And I sort of certainly made it clear that, you know, it was my work. Yeah, so, not a cool thing to do. That's, that's, that's what happens with social media. And, oh, yeah, definitely. But I'm, I'm glad to hear that he finally took it down and realized that's, you know, yeah, not but, the right you know, thing to do. So. It's not the first time this has happened to me. And, oh, and yeah. 
you know, that's just the, the, the nature of sort of being in this business is that, uh, you know, there are some very unscrupulous people. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what other bands do you like besides ACDC or at least the Bon Scott era of ACDC? I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering. I love, to be honest, Michael McDonald and the Doobie Brothers. I think they're fantastic. Um, I am a hardcore Doobies fan. Mm. I love Steely Dan. Me too. Um, I Baxter. Oh yeah. yeah. Great guitar great. player. Um, I, I look. I, I literally, you know, I think I've said this to you before, Wayne. I've got about as many CDs as you have. I listen to so much music, you know, when I'm back in Australia. Um, but uh, I would say that Steely Dan and Doobies, that 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 kind of what would you call it? AOR West Coast sort of smooth yeah. rock sound. Yep. <laughs> That's probably been my favorite sort of genre of music. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I was, I was I was always wondering. I figured when we got you on the show, we would uh, find that out. So that's cool. Well, I did try to I did try to um, write an Andy Gibb biography, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Because um, he has an amazing story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, a very tragic story. Um, sort of not dissimilar to Bon Scott, actually, but in a obviously an entirely different genre of music, but, you know, he died very young and, and broke and, you know, had terrible uh, problems with drugs. And it would have been actually been a great book. So I went down to Miami, I met uh, Stephen Gibb, who was the son of Barry. And we sort of talked about, you know, the, the possibility of getting it up as a book and approaching Barry. And, and then... Stephen was very supportive of it, and uh, but he said that um, there was a Bee Gees movie coming out, and it might sort of interfere with the movie. Mm. Uh, so I ended up sort of like I had with the Indian Nazi story. I put it up on my website, um, the proposal essentially for the Andy Gibb book. And then um, I got contacted by Andy's daughter and um, Spencer Gibb, the son of, uh, was it Robin? Robin? Yeah. Um, and uh, who said, thank you for doing that. You know, thank you for sort of acknowledging Andy Gibb. Um, and I think an, a, a book has actually come out about Andy Gibb recently. Hmm. So someone was was already working on something. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm always looking for, you know, different sort of projects. I'm not sort of ruling out ever doing a, a music biography again. One of the the books that I really wanted to do was um, a book called Capricorn, which is about Capricorn Records down in um, Georgia. Um, I don't know if you guys know Capricorn. No, um, yeah. So you know these guys, the the Waldens, um, were, a, were a bunch of brothers who started this record company called Capricorn, who um, handled Leonard Skinner, Allman Brothers. Um, they managed Otis Redding. They were these these white guys who kind of you know were sort of working um, with with black artists before. 
you know, it was fashionable and sort of ended up sort of becoming sort of the biggest little independent record company in, in America in the 70s. Hmm. And it all sort of came um, crashing to a sort of fiery end at the end of the 70s. But it was um, just like a, a Boogie Nights sort of story um, with, with some of the best music that you will ever hear. Right. And uh, if you go and look at sort of, you know, the music that Capricorn Records put out in the 70s, it's pretty fucking amazing. I mean, like... Um, yeah, never heard of it. No, no, go, go, and, go and Google this, I'm guys. I'm looking it up right now. Um, Alan Walden and Phil Waldman. Um, and they, they ran this amazing record company. And, and that was a, a book that I was very keen on doing. Um, and I just couldn't get my agent in New York at the time to sort of take it on. He just didn't think that it was commercial enough. And I, I've always looked at that story and I thought, fuck, that would just be an amazing Matthew McConaughey movie. <laughs> Actually, yeah. uh, some Australian uh, uh, television uh, personalities that I've always been a fan of, uh, or at least I've always appreciated them, uh, Molly Meldrum of Countdown, who I thought was a great interviewer. And uh, I've always found uh, Norman Gunston to be very funny. <laughs> There's a great interview, uh, Wayne and Greg, that Kiss did in 1980 when they went to Australia with uh, Eric Carr, where uh, Norman Gunston, who's a character portrayed by this uh, comedian, who's just asking them like, a series of funny questions and kiss is just having fun right back with him it's uh it's very funny but yeah molly meldrum i guess you can call him like the dick clark or the casey Kasem of australia um countdown was on the air for so many years and uh there's some great clips on youtube where um they've actually interviewed bond or they've they've interviewed um god knows how many people um ever th- uh, I've always appreciated uh, those talents ever thought about maybe. And, and again, not to pigeonhole you as a music writer, but you know, is like the history of arts and entertainment on television in Australia uh, ever something that interests you? Well, you know, I'm sort of in a catch 22. It's like, I'm an Australian writer, but I'm trying to bring, books to the world right mm. my my career Understood. relies on kind of writing books that i feel like that people in america are going to want to read or people in britain are going to want to read or people in germany or italy or france um and and so if you're looking at the pool of um australian biographies that you can write they're very limited in that sense um and of course I have an Australian publisher. My Australian publisher is interested in Australian subjects um, that they can sell in Australia, which of course is my primary market as an Australian writer, but I also want to have books that I can export. Understood. So Bon Scott is great in that sense um, because he has international recognition. You know, people in America are interested in Bon Scott. Um, people who people are interested in the Beejits. Um, people are interested in Olivia Newton-John. But then, if you you know you look at Australian artists and Australian personalities, 
that have that sort of international pool, um, there aren't a lot. Of, there aren't a lot of them, and most of them have had books written about them already, like Michael Hutchins, for instance. So, you know, there's been I think half a dozen books written by about Michael Hutchins, and I, I get people coming to me all the time saying, um, "Why don't you write a book about Michael Hutchins?" Well, you know, what what can I offer that that's new? You know, I, I could do it. I could do another Bond the Last Highway. Yeah, of course. Um, but I also don't have the same passion or, or feel like I have the same sort of personal connection to him that I did with with Bond. And, and, and getting back to, you know, what I said at the beginning of his interview, it's like I only got into this whole ACDC thing because I literally felt like the Power Age album saved my life one night. That, that's how it all started. I completely understand that. And I understand that, you know, speaking specifically about one subject is a very niche market. I just happen to be one of those people who appreciates niche books like that. I mean, I've kind of myself would like to either do a documentary or um, write something about uh, the New York City um, uh, music scene, everything from CBGB to Roseland, like all the clubs that have come and gone. But then I have to ask myself, I'm like, hmm. Would I be the only one interested in a book like this or something like that? Or, you know, would other people be interested in that? I don't know. Um, you know, I, 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 I get what you mean by, you know, you're a, an Australian writer who wants to contribute something on an international level as opposed to. And, and, and I have to make money. Absolutely. So, so you know, that, that's the thing with nonfiction. It's not like sort of sitting down and sort of just banging out a novel in six months that you just make up off the top of your head. You've got to go and research these things. And so, you know, you look at Bond the Last Highway, there's about 100 pages of bibliography and notes. It's because it's heavily researched and that takes time. You can you can spend a day working on one footnote. So, it, you know, <laughs> this idea that I'm cashing in from these books is just ridiculous because it just takes such a long time and I'm not really getting paid uh, for those books beyond the advance that I'm getting, um, which is um, paid in thirds. So you get a little bit when you start the book, you get a little bit when you finish the book, and then you get a little, you get a little bit um, you know, when the book is published. And you've got to survive on that money. So, so you know, that, that means that, you know, when you you do decide that you're going to spend, you know, two to four years working on a book. You want to write a book that, you know, has some promise of um, actually sort of delivering you an income because I can, I can assure you that um, I don't do this for the money. You know, I do it, I do it because I, I, I love it. And, and I, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, survive as a writer um, because it's what I do best. But if I, you know, was really about the money, I'd be working in PR or advertising or radio, you know, um, doing countless other things other than writing books. We, you know, I write books because I love what I do. And, and, and honestly, I just wanted to kind of contribute something to the world before I die. That's it. Well, let's hope that's not for a very, very long time. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we hope so. 
Hope we get uh, and at least have you back on the show again for uh, another book that you do. But um, where can people go to, uh, you know, find about your books and everything else that you're doing? Uh, well, jessefinkbooks.com um, is my website. And um, social media-wise, I'm, you know, not really sort of doing much <laughs> at the moment. I probably post more on, on Twitter than anything else sort of recently. Um, mm. I'm sort of a bit of a ghost on sort of Facebook and Instagram, but um, um, when the next book comes out, I'll sort of obviously be promoting uh, yeah. that book. You know, that's about spies. So it's like uh-huh. a, a completely different subject. All the <laughs> uh, But, you know, like these days I, I, I kind of mostly use social media just to, you know, promote right. the books. And yeah. uh, otherwise, I, I sort of have a very sort of private life. So, it's the way to be. Social I think so. I, mean, I, think it's, I think it's a healthy thing. Yeah. yeah. And um, you mentioned the uh, the Bon Scott, uh, the the uh, Facebook group. Uh, just mention that. What's the name of that in case anyone oh, wants to go? Forum. Well, that, that, I, I do post regularly on that. So if anyone is interested in Bon Scott uh, talking about, you know, Bacon Black and the death and everything else, um, Bon Scott Forum uh, in groups is where to go. Um, we've got about 15,000 members and we're constantly kind of, you know, posting about uh, things that people want to talk about and that you can't talk about anywhere else. Uh, and that's a, actually why we started the group is that mm. we, we couldn't talk about these things anywhere else. So right. uh, we've found a, like a, uh, we've created a great sort of community of people who, who are pretty passionate about, you know, talking about these things. And, and ultimately, you know, I just hope that, um, by continuing to talk about these things, we, we get a little bit closer to the truth. Yeah. That's all yeah. I want. Yep. And I think that's what all the fans want. So everybody, please go join that group and go check out uh, Jesse's websites. And uh, just to let everybody know, uh, this will be our last episode for a while. We need a break. Well, actually, last week was supposed to be our episode, but since Jesse called me out and called Rat Sal Review out, we had to have our last show with Jesse. So I'm glad we had the last show with you, Jesse. Yeah, it's very rare where we respond to a call out. We're not rappers, so thank you for this. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it won't be. We won't be gone forever. We'll be back. We'll come back at some point, uh, hopefully before the end of the year, and do an, a year end show and all that stuff. But uh, we will be back. And we will see mm-hmm. you guys then. And uh, again, thank you guys very much for watching. And please hit that subscribe button. And again, thank you again, Jesse. What? What? Get it in. Guys, I'm happy to say our subscriber count went up to 863 tonight. Really? So thank you. Thank very you. Cool. Thank you to everyone who subscribed. And thank you to our guest, Mr. Jesse Fink. And on behalf of Greg, our excitement, we just found out that a new corner album is getting recorded. So hopefully that'll be around next year for us to review. That's right. And if we get to a thousand subscribers, Lou is going to give the, the thousand subscriber, I guess, uh, a CD that uh, our, that we were on, actually. Yes, this Def Leppard tribute album, Let's Get Rocked. Wayne and I are track 12, where we, where we cover the title track from their second album. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Their second album was High and Dry. The song is on Through the Night. That's the name of their first album. 
but the song itself is on their second album. And uh, you'll get some great other uh, covers on here, including Roxy Blue doing Let It Go and uh, former supposed Vinnie Vincent singer Jim Crean doing Def Leppard Karaoke. <laughs> but on top of that... <laughs> No, song is real, so that's the only thing that matters on there. It's it's a karaoke track <laughs> of songs that Flippard recorded. Like I think he just put his vocals on it. But but the cool thing about it though is that uh, original Def Leppard drummer Tony Kennig is on two of the tracks on on this CD. So um, I promise your copy will be autographed. Yeah. So please make sure you hit that subscribe button. And also, I'll be re- we'll be releasing an interview with the drummer Matt Thompson from King Diamond if we get to a thousand subscribers. So make sure we hit that sub- thousand subscribers, and uh, that will be released. And we will see you guys very soon. Bye bye. Support Severed Angel and Demoni. Oh yeah, SeveredAngel.bandcamp.com and ProjectResurrect.bandcamp.com, RotsdaleReview.com. Jesse, Link Street Music is Live Podcast. <laughs> bye. bye. Cheers. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, look no further than the Ratsaw Review Network. Ratsaw Review is taking over the podcast world with plenty of shows to choose from within their network of entertaining programming, including the flagship show, Ratsaw Review, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and Lou Mavs, as well as occasional co-hosts Manny Mejias and James Lilquist. We also have the official Ratsaw Review spin-off, such as Album vs. Album, Screams from the Grave, where we discuss beloved yet forgotten hard rock and metal albums of the past, and a King Diamond podcast called This Broadcast Belongs to Them. We've also got Old Man Metal's music. The Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast with Metal Thrashing Mike. The Team Otoki Podcast featuring Stradivarius and Avalon founding member Team Otoki. The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry. Just the Cheese Please, a podcast dedicated to cheesy films of the 1980s with Tara J and Adam. And the Music is Live podcast with Lou Mavs. The Ratsaw Review Network is your go-to one-stop shop for the best podcasts out there today. Go to RatsawReview.com for more info. And to find out where you can find, follow, subscribe, and comment on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and all streaming platforms. The Ratsaw Review Network. We're taking over.